Welcome to Seeing Red the Pod, episode 59, where we always discuss the latest Nebraska issues. I'm Stephanie, and here with me today, as always, are Melody and April. Hey, ladies. How's it going? Hello. Hello. I'm just so happy the heat is breaking. I'm so happy. I know. We had a little bonfire in the backyard last night. Bonfire. It was a little fire in a fire pit. Bonfire. I don't know what I'm talking about, but it was nice. Okay. And we had some s'mores. It was too hot. Last night, it was great. No, I had a friend over and we sat outside and I was like, we're not doing the fire pit. It's too hot. (laughs) It can be a bonfire in your heart. It does not have to be a bonfire in real life. Right, right, right. (laughs) Um, Can we talk about redistricting just real quick? No. (laughs) uh, We had Kate High who told us, or not Kate High, we brought in... um, and she talked about how it all works. And then we brought in Senator Anna Moorfeld, who told us from the political side what was going on. Mm-hmm. And now we've actually seen, so far, they've had in-person debates. And I just kind of want people to understand kind of how this is going to work. So it seems like what happened on the first day of session was Senator's everybody walked in the door knowing that there was going to be a filibuster. It was uh, people from both parties did not like the map of the, uh, of the day, which is the Linehan congressional map, which cuts Omaha in half. Um, They were arguing all day, but everybody knew this was going to happen. This wasn't a surprise. They're all talking behind closed doors. And by the end of the day, the filibuster was, of course, successful, as everybody knew it would. They had the votes before the day even opened. Um, and now it's really, if you think about politics like a game, but with very serious consequences in our real lives, the game has now really begun. And so over the weekend, they're having, um, they're talking amongst themselves, uh, outside of the public view, and they're compromising. So when they come back tomorrow, they should be, which we're recording on Sunday, so when they come back Monday, the 20th, they'll have some sort of compromise map, and then we'll see where they go. And they're just going to keep repeating this process until they've got all the maps sorted out. So while... Well, isn't it more like until they run out of time? (laughs) I don't think that's even how it's going to... I don't know about procedurally how that's going to work, but they have to get the maps done. Um, and and, and they have to leave enough time where they can get it back if the governor vetoes it. Yep. Right. Hopefully now that it is clear that the group of senators that would like to see the most nonpartisan map possible, and they've laid out what they mean when they say that, they laid all that out on Friday, the first day, 
Um, hopefully we can see them work together a little bit better now that the threat has been realized that they will filibuster. They have mm -hmm. all the votes they need and more. Mm -hmm. And that it is forcing the most partisan members of the body to compromise. And this is what's important about a filibuster. Uh, nope. What people don't often recognize with a filibuster, it's so important that there is, if you have a significant minority, that they have some sort of power to compromise. Mm -hmm. And that is what is currently happening in the legislature with redistricting. Hey, what can I? going on in the world? April, I, have you I seen wanna, anything? I want to say one thing. I want to say one thing about redistricting oh. that's really bothering me. I have to tell you every time I hear that so-and-so won't live in their district anymore or so-and-so's new property or yes. this, that, and the other thing, I want to freak out because this isn't about politicians and where they live. It's about nope. people having equal, equal representation under the law. And I mean, maybe if the shoe's on the other fit, the Democrats would be ex acting the exact same way, but I would hope that, we just have fair nonpartisan redistricting in our state. And um, I don't want to know where people live or where they're going to live, or I, I just don't care. It's that's has nothing to do with this. I mean, I think anyway. it does in a little bit of a way. There mm -hmm. is a historical tradition that if a current elected official lives in their district, that, you know, there is a tradition of trying to keep the district line so that, currently elected politicians still remain in their district. Like, I know, but a tradition for that. When it comes with... to John Bacon, who is yeah. the congressional rep in Omaha, they have had to, he lives a little bit far south of Omaha. And so they've drawn the line to keep him in his district. But one of the things they're arguing about, which is total nonsense, is he just bought a house outside oh. of his district. It's line. not even a house. He's it's a building. piece of vacant land. Yeah. Right. Like this is bananas. And the fact that a sitting congressman at the moment of re redistricting, which he has known has been coming for, you know, 10 years, mm -hmm. would, would buy land at exactly the moment that they're cutting lines and ask the legislature to cut the lines in such a way that would meet well, the goals of Pete Ricketts. They should not be. They should not be recognizing that. I think it is reasonable to say where he currently lives and has lived for a long time. You know, I mean, you and I are going to have to agree to disagree on that because I really just, yeah, I, I don't. Um, I'm with Stephanie. I don't actually. care. But and I also have to say that I've heard more about that than I have about keeping um, communities together and making mm -hmm. sure that. Um, the other tenants of redistricting are, um, you know, oh, that they're sure. compact and, con you know, contiguous, things like that. And so I just, um, I also think it's pretty funny that one of the Republican senators at the hearing in Lincoln, which I want you guys to know, I was there for an hour and 45 minutes before a real person that wasn't a senator got to talk at a public hearing, mind you, I was furious, but the Republicans, mm -hmm. the Republican senator not going to name which one because I can't remember off the top of my head, was basically <laughs> like, oh, the Republican Party is emailing me about this and Lenahan's like shaking her head like a crazy person. And um, he yeah, anyway, about. it's just totally, anyway. Oh my gosh. Right. Okay, I have yeah, to tell no, something. I'm fine, with, 
I am fine with if Don Bacon is no longer in his district and they have an open seat. But also, I do understand the concept that elected officials would like to stay in their district. You know, I do understand. I just I understand it. But also, I think they're trying to draw but, Democrats out of their district. So keep it. Yeah. Do try to keep everyone in their district or nobody. But if you moved in redistricting, that's not off the table, fool. It's not off the table. Yeah. And the way they draw that map, it's like like the most gerrymandered thing to keep him in there it's too much it's too much that's his problem anyways okay i want to change the subject because something i really want to talk about today's editorial in the um omaha world herald the editorial staff they were vicious to rickets today Mm -hmm. as they should be but it was (laughs) delightful i cackled and cackled and I'm sharing it everywhere um they have gone so far because Ricketts has said we don't mask up kids for the flu there's no reason they're not at risk that's his quote Mm. and um they quoted him as Dr. Governor Ricketts and then later when they're critiquing him said governor quote not really a Dr. Ricketts Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, my God, that is so brutal. Not even and close. I love it. And then their whole argument is paragraph after paragraph starts with real doctors say this. Real doctors see this. Real doctors said, trust real doctors. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Ooh, that is. <sighs> I feel like the Omaha World Herald really had a reckoning when the governor decided to start regulating the press in ways mm-hmm. that they hadn't before and excluding mm-hmm. them and pushing out black press. And I think, I think the Omaha World Herald was like, hold on a second. Maybe we shouldn't just blindly cheerlead this guy all the damn time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm happy about that. There's also been some turnover. Um, that some people who weren't even there in 2018 when it when the World Herald endorsed Ricketts, there's people that are new in leadership roles, and I'm glad for it. Well, something's happened there, and they have been asking tougher, and I think also having a union helped. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that has greatly helped, like that independent. Uh, it, Pushing it, I mean, it is corporately owned, but I think having a union helps it be a little more, um, a little more individual um, journalists have more freedom of speech, right, within their corporate structure. So I think I think that's good too. Uh, are you guys ready to talk about abortion? Mm-hmm. Yes, bring our guest on. It's all about abortion. If you have little listeners, um, yeah. you know, that you are, have not had the conversation with, you know, if you have been not talked about reproductive health care with them yet, uh, this may not be the show for them. But if you have been talking to them about reproductive health care uh, and this and abortion has not come up, this is your reminder that is part of reproductive health care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we want age-appropriate conversations happening at all levels of uh, childhood development. But this episode may not be for young listeners, just in general. Uh, 
pre pre puberty for sure. Anyway, let's bring on our guest. Shelly is a pro-abortion activist and clinic escort. She's the escort captain for the team of clinic escorts and defenders. It's a volunteer at Care Reproductive Health in Bellevue. Welcome, Shelly. It's nice to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Welcome. I am thrilled that you are here to talk about abortion. Mm-hmm. What I a want time to, to talk about abortion right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Honestly, like the right time to talk about abortion is when you are talking about reproduction. Like it is always a good time to be including, like normalizing that this isn't a taboo word and we're going to talk about it tonight. Mm So, you know, I think we should just start with that. But before we really kind of get into the heart of the matter, I wanted to ask about you, Shelly. So we're going to learn about you and you are... An escort, so when people are coming to receive health care, abortion care, reproductive care, um, you help them get into the clinic safely in the most healthy way possible because it's not always safe to get into from your car to the clinic. And so we wanted to talk about that. But before we talk about that, can we find out more about you? Where are you from? And, you know, what did you, uh, what kind of led you on this path? Yeah, so I'm from Kansas City. I'm not actually from Nebraska. Um, And I've only been here for a couple of years, but um, I grew up in Kansas City and I had kind of a kind of a wild ride journey. I left when I was 18 and I did some like post-Civil War homesteading reenactment and I taught trap and skeet shooting in New Mexico for a few years. And I lived in LA and I worked on a river barge and I did a whole bunch of stuff. And eventually I sort of landed back in the Midwest and I have always been really uh, interested in advocacy work and community organizing. And I had had done enough of that to get sort of involved in the community in Kansas city. Um, And I found nonprofit work and I just have been glued to that type of work ever since. And abortion in particular is special to me because I am someone who's had an abortion. So this is work that's really personal for me. Um, Yeah. So I just started volunteering here at the clinic in Bellevue. And and at first there were, um, you know, only a few people that were volunteering and the commotion was sort of at a minimum. And um, over the last three years, it's just changed. And um, we've had to really amp up our tactics to match theirs. So in that work, um, I've found kind of a home. So that's that's sort of where I'm at now is figuring out what that looks like for me and how I can do the most good in that space. Did you think Civil War reenactment? Is that something you used to do in a past life? Yes. Yeah, I did uh, post not Civil War reenactment, post Civil War homesteading reenactment, which is oh. a much different beast. Yeah. Um, Mostly just like a, a kind of cla- classical home ec is what I call it. So teaching like, um, you know, primitive skills, candle making and, um, you know, gardening and livestock care and uh, spinning wool and things like that. How did you come into that? Listen, <laughs> I've had, a, I've had a, a time, okay? Don't ask questions because honestly, it makes no sense. But I did it, I did it for, for the Boy Scouts, actually. They have a high adventure base in northern New Mexico. Um, and so I worked for them uh, living in that environment for 
um, a whole season. It was really pretty incredible. That's just, I just never heard anybody say like, oh, and I used to do that kind of thing. Like, that's so cool. I mean, I think we've all been to places like that, like the Amana colonies and Pioneer Village. And yeah, there's places, but I've yeah. never heard of anybody that actually did those things. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird world wearing like old school dresses every day. And like um little secret that I didn't know is that in the 1800s, your bloomers were crotchless so that you could like pee gracefully. <laughs> Um, and then now I just can't imagine really ever wanting to truly go back to like closed underwear because crotchless <laughs> bloomers are the most convenient thing. I, I am reading a book called, I think it's called Unmentionable. Mm. And it is just about like being um, female in the 1800s and like how much it sucks. Yeah. But good was they talked about the underpants. Dude, and they're not bad. It's it's a vibe. I'm into it. But one thing sad was that menstruation, there's really like no clear standard. And just yeah. even admitting you have menstruation basically makes you a dirty whore. Um yeah. so you're just it's all like secret hush hush and it's kind of whatever works, whatever you can manage to do, uh to sort it out yourself. Uh, it sounds horrible. Anyway, the book is really funny and lighthearted, uh, but the topic is, you know, really well researched and interesting. Hmm, fascinating. Yeah, I'll have to send you. I'll send you the book. I'll put it in the show notes. Perfect. Uh, but love it, love it. So, okay, so you moved to Nebraska, and then how did you fall into being a clinic ex- escort? Like, how does that actually happen? How did one do that? So I had been volunteering. I had reached out to the clinic in Bellevue just asking to volunteer in general. Um, And so I had met up with some people from there and we talked a lot about, you know, helping out on kind of the like grant writing side or some of the more nonprofit-y stuff that I have experience in. But um, at the time, it just kind of made sense to help out the clinic escorts, be on the front line there, since that was something I had a little bit of experience in. Um, and so, yeah, I started doing that and it's just evolved from there. How long have you been doing that? Uh, almost three years. Wow. Okay. So I was, you're TikTok famous now. Oh, no. Um, you are to us. <laughs> low key, very low key TikTok fame, but it is a very weird specific sect of TikTok fame. But yes. Well, on your TikTok, right, you are filming just different shenanigans that are happening at the escort process of like patients coming to receive medical care that they have a constitutional right to receive. And then it's getting attempted impediment at every single step into the door. Um, and some of your videos are really uh, funny, and some of them are really frustrating. And I want to say the funniest one was the there is one of Sarah McLaughlin song. Oh yeah, they play for all the sad pets, you know, where they're like pay for this poor puppy to be adopted for only one cup of coffee a day. And you have this video and it's that song playing in the background. And for TikTok, 
anyone who's not familiar with TikTok, that's really a normal thing where you do some song and then there's a trend and then you put film behind the song. And so then you put a picture of one of the people who is constantly trying to impede people's right to health care. And you say, for only a cup of coffee a day, you can um, fund abortion. For, yeah. Fund abortion. Yeah, for Larry. In opposition to this guy, Larry. Uh, and I just tackled. I just tackled. And we need to put your, um, I can't remember what the funding, if it was Venmo, but we need to put that in the show notes also. What is a Venmo if people want to fund abortion? Uh, well, so we have two ways that you can donate. The first is to donate to the abortion access fund, which is the fund that actually helps pay for abortions at our clinic and our sister clinic in Maryland. Um, and then we have a Venmo at the desk courts. That's money for like escort things like umbrellas and coffee and, you know, that kind of stuff. Love it. Love it. Uh, what's the Venmo? The Venmo is at, at the death courts. At the death score. What is that name? Talk to us about that. Yeah. So death score is like a, like a pro life slang term for escorts. Um, and they think it's like very witty and funny. And I think it sounds like a super cool metal band. So <laughs> I decided to reclaim it um, as a lot of clinic escorts have. Um, and so that's just kind of stuck. Um, since we made the TikTok. I know it's something that makes some people really uncomfortable because we're acknowledging death, but I think that's something that, um, you know, everybody gets to decide about themselves and the way uh, in which they process uh, their abortion. So, you know, for me, that's how I feel about it. And so that's the word I use. So I am one of the founders of Nebraskans Against Gun Violence, and I do that work with Stephanie and April here from the pod, like it's separate from the pod, but it is like, uh, one of the ways that we know each other. And when we were uh, originally creating the organization, we got called hysterical ladies by the mm-hmm. gun And they meant it in a derogatory way, right? Because they're saying like, you're afraid of guns and you're doing that well. So that's why we need to stand your ground so we can kill black people without any sort of penalties, uh, which could stand your ground was the bill in question. And uh, so we took that moniker and turned it into a fundraising platform so we could pay for our 501c3 fees. And we made a website that said, like the, um, what was it? It was like the League of Gun Humper Busting Hysterical Ladies or something. And it had all this like suffragette. Uh, and they were they like, had so fascists. Oh, perfect, perfect. <laughs> were so, it was like the Bessie Ross image of her sewing the flag, but it she instead she was sewing fuck the NRA and anyway. So like I really approve of taking insults, owning them for yourself, and then monetizing on them. Yeah. I I really I feel the same way. We get that question a lot. Like in the TikTok comments and stuff, people are like, why would you say that? This is so dark. And it's like, I think I just want to have this back. Like, I don't want to give them that power to like use really any, any kind of slang that they think is witty and fun against us. Yeah. I have a cool. Oh, go ahead. I have a question. So I think we're all pretty clear here that we feel that abortion care is women's care and it is women's health and end of story. But, um, 
how has, you know, the recent stuff in Texas, has it had any effect on your work here or what you've seen happening with women locally? Um, I think, you know, right now there's just more conversation happening. Um, and I do think like, just, just to point out though, like we're really, we're, we also offer, well, we used to, um, before we uh, kind of lost some, some space and some, had some funding issues, but we used to offer, uh, trans healthcare, uh, every other Saturday that wasn't an abortion Saturday. And I will tell you that, like, it's been something that's a really a hard language changer for me in that, like talking about abortion as women's health care has always been the way that I've, I've had that conversation. And in the last, you know, couple of years, we've just, I've learned so much about the trans community and the need for abortion in the trans community also. And so non-binary folks and trans folks need abortions too. And so I think it's really important to just make sure that we're using that kind of language when we talk about abortion um, because we're so accustomed to it being a women's issue. And I think that, you know, it is an issue for people with a uterus. And so that's just kind of the, the terminology and language that I try to use, but with yeah, Texas, I'm apologize i didn't mean to leave that out i guess i just was wondering yeah i just wondered like are people more scared you know than they used to be like i mean i know ricketts has said oh we're looking into what we can do i mean it scares death out of me yeah so we're we have actually um you know people are coming from all over the place to get abortions. And because of the doctor at our in particular clinic, um, we, you know, we're not unsure that we won't see an influx of patients uh, already. So. I want to, so you've been doing this for three years as we were seeing, and I'm curious just because you are really on the front line of the most diehard fetus fetishist, you know, they're actually there. Um, do you think people have been getting more radicalized as the president of the United States, the governor of Nebraska, as they have upped their rhetoric in political spaces? Do you think that has had an impact in the actual peer-to-peer interactions people are having uh, in their own neighborhoods getting health care? Yeah, I mean, I think so, for sure. I think we see, it's been interesting to see like when the protesters at the clinic feel a little more emboldened uh, and like what at what points in time that happens. And then also like they don't talk about political stuff with us very often. So if they do, it's usually because something has like happened in their favor. And so they want to like point it out, right? Like when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, Larry like thought it was really funny to make RBG jokes on the sidewalk the next day. Like he's, it's just kind of one of those things where, um, you know, we get to sort of see firsthand when they're feeling good um, and when they're feeling like they might be on a, on a losing scale. So I think, you know, when, when Biden took office, I sort of felt like a little bit of wind out of their sails, but they are so on fire because of Texas. I mean, it, it, yesterday um, or Friday, uh, Rice Baby Lady, who's one of the women that um, stands outside of the clinic, we call her that because she literally carries a bag of rice wrapped in a blanket that she soothes like a baby. Um, but Rice Baby Lady had a sign that said, um, like, God bless Texas. 
black and brown baby lives matter. Right. So it's just, you know, they're definitely latching on to that. And hopefully, um, you know, the governor and the people outside of our clinic don't just play off each other. Yeah, I think the governor, there's no hope in the governor, I would say. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> perhaps there's hope in the legislature, but even then, I don't, I don't have great hopes in our state legislature either. Uh, when it comes to this issue, when it comes to, you know, healthcare, uh, abortion healthcare, and when it comes to reducing gun violence, mm. I find that find those issues are tradable. And they don't right. take them seriously. Like there's a few, of course, like every issue has its advocates, but um, I think overall the most reasoned and rational, rational of them, they find it them to be trading issues. Mm. So I don't, I don't have any faith. Zero, none. So who who knows what that will happen? Can you talk about? So there's a lot of references to Larry Rice, baby lady. It, is there like when you're talking about Larry? Is that his real name? Is that a moniker you've given him? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So it's very weird to be talking about these people as if they are like characters. Like it's so weird to talk about to other people who I who like have heard or watched the TikToks and like are familiar with them. Um, and yes, they are, that is usually their real name. Um, like that's, that's a, a, something that we do on purpose as like a de-escalation tactic. So Larry, um, we, we know his full name, um, but you know, we have nicknames for other people. It just kind of depends. Um, but we try to use their real names when we can, because for a lot of people, it kind of pulls them out of the moment for a second. So like Larry gets pretty heated. Um, you know, if you have never seen my TikTok, he stands on top of a big A-frame ladder um, out in front of the clinic that is completely unnecessary. There's no fence. There's no reason to be up that high. Um, so he climbs up this ladder and he, he yells at the patients as they get out of their car uh, from the top of the ladder. And something that we do is try to drown Larry out and make noise over him, um, but also try to like talk to him sometimes because occasionally he'll comply with requests that we have if they're special. So, you know, we're trying to communicate with him, but at the same time, uh, keep the patients from hearing all of the trash that he's dribbling from the top of the ladder. What is happening with, there was a series on cowbells mm. and the Bellevue law enforcement, which I'm from Papillion. And I just remember growing up all through high school, Bellevue police department, seem to be the scariest of all of the municipal because there's Boston, Papillion, Bellevue, La Vista, they all, Omaha. Uh, Bellevue, I remember, used to be uh, the most intimidating because they would pull you over for nothing. They would be real big jerks about it. And I think they constantly feel emasculated by the military base and military police who can override anything they say or do at any time. Uh, and then that it regularly happens. It's just my opinion. I don't know this for a fact. Interesting is, theory. Um, so this is like, and you know, Papillion police are also like super weird also, um, you know, uh, in similar ways, but Bellevue is definitely, definitely the worst. And you had an interaction with Bellevue police where they were telling you that you couldn't ring a cowbell because of a noise ordinance. And you were arguing that Larry is making the same like decibels of noise 
Um, so how, how can we move forward with you both complying if one of you refuses to comply? What ended up happening after that situation? Yeah, so the Campbells have been like pretty effective for a while. And we know in particular that they're bothersome to the protesters also, which is the point, uh, you know. So we're trying to make noise to both drown them out and also to annoy them. And so, you know, it's kind of gotten to the point now where like using any kind of a, a noisemaker is getting the cops called on us. And the cowbells had been sort of the last hope. And then once the police showed up and told us that the cowbells violated this noise ordinance, which says, by the way, that you can't make any obnoxious noise, air quotes, uh, that can be heard from more than 50 feet away. So... Mm-hmm. I think that I could make a very easy case that Larry standing at the top of this ladder screaming at people is an obnoxious noise. And I don't understand why my cowbell is more obnoxious and or is being asked to, um, you know, go away when nobody wants to tell Larry that he can't scream that loud. I think it's I mean, they they will tell you, the police will tell you that it's because they don't want to restrict their freedom of speech. And I understand all of that. But at this point, like uh, my freedom of speech is now being being restricted. Mm -hmm. And that's that's when it you know, I'm willing to make some concessions because I know that we're just not going to win in this um, particular, you know, police jurisdiction. And that's just that's just probably how it is. Right. But I don't know. It's it's been really tough trying to figure out how to keep doing this and not violate these rules. That's really disheartening. I mean, especially because you guys work and volunteer there. He clearly doesn't. He's right. clearly there to disrupt the peace with his presence. It's his mm-hmm. entire goal. Yeah. His, Larry does not believe. I I firmly believe that these protesters do not actually want any of these patients to come over and talk to them. They say that they do, but they have no idea what they would do if that actually happened. No clue. I ask them all the time and they have no answer. Most of them have like little postcards that they've written out that are glued to the back of their sign or, you know, that they're holding up or whatever so that they know what to say if someone comes and talks to them. They, they don't really want that to happen. So the only purpose they're actually serving is to intimidate. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that that bothers me. Right. If you want to come and stand down there and pray with your rosary, I'm probably not going to do a whole lot. Right. I'm going to mm-hmm. let you live your life. Would I appreciate it if you weren't out there? Because I think your sheer presence is intimidation. Yes. But if you're standing there quietly, I'll probably leave you alone for the most part. But when you start calling out to my patients and yelling at them, then it's over. Right. And so I make a lot of noise. I just talk through that bullhorn for an hour. Mm -hmm. Just say whatever I'm thinking about. Because just any noise is good noise at that point. Mm -hmm. What if you just saying cowbell cow <laughs> right we went through a phase where we tried to have Not a, a cowbell club. it's your speech <laughs> yeah we tried to have a book club uh and read uh read them books through the bullhorn we've tried to do all kinds of things because you know it's just what do you do we have to be speaking because they've argued that the cowbell is not protected speech, which fair enough. Um, and obviously like sounds are not protected speech. So we just, um, I just 
talk. So how does one get an abortion in Nebraska? Do you know what the process is? Like, what are the different, um, you're like, oh, I'm pregnant. I'd like to get an abortion. And I know there is a low risk, effective two pill medication abortion that requires zero surgical intervention, really zero health provider intervention. You could just take it and move along with your life. Uh, you know, have a couple days of not feeling that well, and then you'll move on. So knowing that is really what a medical abortion, they're so simple. Um, that's all it is. What, what does Nebraska require to get those pills through a healthcare provider who can walk you through questions that you might have and um, be available for any side effects you might have? Yeah, so you have to physically come to the clinic. Um, and then, you know, you kind of at our, I only know the experience at our clinic specifically, like what that really looks like. Um, and I know some places do it a little bit differently, but for us, you call and make an appointment. You have to listen to a mandatory recording, um, that basically tells you that you can change your mind, that there are all of these other options. It's just, it's ridiculous. Um, so you have to listen to that and then you have the, the 24 hours from that before you're able to actually get your procedure. So, or your pill or whatever you've come for. Um, so, you know, at our clinic, those folks come and we do everything kind of in steps. So they go through client education. So they learn about what's, what they're going to be taking. Um, or if they're going to have a procedure, they learn a, a little bit about that. Um, and then that sort of goes into, their actual um, either dispensing the medication or uh, having the surgical procedure and then uh, recovery. So everybody sort of goes in, goes through things at the same time. They, um, you know, come to the clinic in the morning and, and they're typically out by the early afternoon. Do people have to get ultrasound as part of the process? I don't know what the rules are on that exactly. So I don't want to misspeak that. I think, I'm sure you do. I'm absolutely sure you do, but I don't, because I don't know what the, what's yeah. like a state mandate and what's like just good medicine. I, I don't want to speak on that. And then the other thing that I know, if you are getting a medical um, abortion where you're just taking the pills, uh, and I just want our listeners to know is um, about two years ago, the state legislature passed a lie to women bill mm -hmm which was basically says any person having um, a medical abortion, you have to be told that you could choose not to take the first pill to with this false concept of reversing your abortion. Um, but what actually what this research shows is that if you do not complete the set of pills, you put yourself at great risk of death. Uh, and you really, once you start, you got to keep on, um, for your own health. Uh, that's a really, really risky thing, except that's not what we're requiring physicians to tell people. We're actually requiring physicians to tell lies and mistruth and half-truth so that um, for political and religious gains that actually kill people. We have so lots of protesters that stand outside with the abortion pill reversal signs. 
Um, you know, and it's just, there's no good science behind it. There's nothing that says no. that this is effective. It's terrifying that they're even allowed to talk about it, let alone that it's a mandatory conversation. Um, yeah, I just. And there's actually there's a lot of science about it. And it says it kills people. Right. And it's really dangerous and it can lead to hemorrhaging and um, just bleeding that never stops. Very, very dangerous. So I think that's really important. And when we're talking about this, because that is the most common uh, type of abortion that most people receive if they're getting one. And I just really want to normalize this idea that they are, you know, it's a two pill regimen and it's just a couple days of like almost really super heavy like period. And then it's over. Uh, you know, you don't feel good during it. It's not great. Uh, but you know, then it's over. And so, you know, this idea that we need ultrasounds and mandatory recordings and this, that, and the other, you know, in the first one to 12 weeks, like we're really talking about nothing. We're talking about like an accidental splooge. <laughs> I, 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 had, I had this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, actually, uh, there were a couple of us talking and we had a friend that was in a situation where they were really nervous that they were going to be pregnant. And my friend, Alex, I thought she just did such a wonderful job in explaining things. And she was like, well, it's really like a two-step process. The first is that like today you take a plan B and if that doesn't work, then you take an abortion pill. Like it was that like, well, it's really three pills, I suppose, because you're, you're taking the plan B and then uh, both of the pills for your pill abortion. But it was just interesting to hear it put that way where it's like, well, of course you took a plan B, it didn't work. And now you take an abortion pill. Like it was both. Right. And I mean, and honestly, there it is. So, you know, there back before the uh, American Medical Association was formed, abortion was framed really differently. And right in our current culture, we like focus very much on the pregnancy. So we're like, mm -hmm. you know, we talk a lot about the fetus and, you know, viability. And we talk about, you know, all of that stuff. And really before the American Medical Association, like abortion was very much framed as restoring menstruation. So instead of like looking at the problem as like you're pregnant and don't want to be, they're looking at the problem as like very medical, like you are not menstruating and you want to be. So we're going to take every step we can to make sure you're menstruating, which is a removing a pregnancy, removing cysts, things like that, you know, that could be preventing you from menstruating. So it's just interesting that the frame, the framing of abortion has changed so much um, yeah. over the years and, and just the way that we look at things like even like just talking about pill abortion as casually as we are, that wouldn't have happened even 10 years ago. The conversation was still a little sticky. And now it's like, oh my gosh, guys, you just, you take a plan B, doesn't work. Plan C, abortion pill, really not that big of a deal. Right. And plan A, um, erection reversal. That's the first. <laughs> That's <laughs> melody for all All of the places that you can, what did you say? Splooge. <laughs> it won't result in a pregnancy. <laughs> we could write a book about your gym sock. You, you could. In fact, we have a friend who wrote a pamphlet. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there was a group of us that we went and we had this like fabulous press conference in the legislature at the Rotunda about, and we called ourselves the Benevolent Order of Nebraskans for Erection Reversal. 
Keep It Limp for Life, which stands for Boner Kill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you can find all the materials for that uh, organization at ProLifeNebraska.com. And it's all about how to... Um, Will you put that link in the show notes, Melody? Please put that link in the show notes. Okay, um, they, have have some, they have some really, really, really good uh, visual aids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but, if you watch the video, you can find a visual aid of, and it's an actual male scientist, which is a woman in a lab coat. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, she uses actual male science to explain why erection reversal is so important. And there's a giant chart. And on one angle, it says heat of the meat. And on the other side is the angle of the dangle. And then mm. it's like you can see as the heat increases, then the angle increases. And so you need kind of reverse those so that the dangle goes down. Mm. Or the dangle going down. Uh, and then there's also a principal toolkit for any time you might need an emergency abortion reversal, which is a picture of Pete Ricketts. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and that will... Oh, an erection reversal. Sort of an erection reversal. Oh, yeah, erection reversal. Yes, it will reverse your yes. erection. Immediately. Look. Yeah. Cool. Dry as the Serengeti. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that is uh, for sure. You know, that's plan A. Then we've got plan B, which is um, you can get at any pharmacy. And then plan C, which you can, there are places in town where, you know, um, there's several clinics across Nebraska, but you can also order it online, Um, you know, and I think there's all kinds of literature about how to uh, do that at home if you choose it. Um, So, you know, it's really important. And then if it goes beyond 12 weeks, of course, you have to go in and you have to follow your state rules or you have to travel and find funding to travel um do you know and i don't know if you know or not but how would if someone needed to travel let's say they lived in a place where you can't get abortion anymore and so they have to travel do you know of reputable funds because it seems like there's all these funds coming out but ones that you trust that have actual ways that they can connect to low-income, working-class people that are pregnant who want abortion care and need to travel. It's so easy to be scammed in these kind of things. Like, how do you, where can you send your money that might actually reach people that you wouldn't have access to otherwise that need your dollars? I tell people all the time, I don't click on Instagram donate buttons. Don't, there's just so many things that, you know, just in general, unless you're like very familiar with the person posting it, don't click on anything. Go to the National Network of Abortion Funds website, NANAF, N-N-A-F. And they, uh, there you'll find a list of all the funds that are members of the National Network of Abortion Funds. I would exclusively choose to give my money to abortion funds that belong to that network because those funds have been vetted. There's a, you know, they're getting continuous education and support from NANAF. Like they, I I can't tell you uh, more how important that is to make sure that they're verified with them first. And there are some great ones in Texas there. I've never heard of them. And that is exactly why I asked you because I thought maybe you would. Uh, we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Yeah, they have uh, cool merch too. 
They have very cool abortion merch. <laughs> a big fan of cool merch. Mm-hmm. Very big fan of cool merch. Okay. Is there anything else you think that the public should know about a wild antic that you think would like light, you know, enlighten people, something that you've witnessed, perhaps a fact about abortion we haven't discussed yet, or um, just generally, how can we normalize abortion and talking about abortion with each other so that it is not like talking about abortion? Like, we can just talk about abortion. It is as normal as Viagra. It is just as important to sexual health. Like, what are your, what are some final thoughts you have on that? Any of it? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I, I part of, of the reason why I started putting videos on TikTok, and, you know, I used to just keep that footage for my own safety. But part of why I started putting videos on TikTok is because I don't think people realize that, like, these people are really scary, like they're the way that they think is so dangerous. And I, you know, I think people drive by and they see the protesters and they just want to yell at them. And, you know, we just want to yell at them. And I'm guilty of getting carried away in the like funny stuff too. Right. But like, it's easy to forget that these people are domestic terrorists. Like they are, they are there because they believe they are called by God to stop abortion. And I just, there is something really terrifying about that. And I say it all the time, but I think a lot of people just imagine that like everybody is just like a nice grandma with a rosary praying outside of the clinic. And that's just not the case. I mean, these people are really scary. Like I had a family member of Larry's reach out um, to just like basically tell us that he's a mess and that they aren't involved with him. But, you know, there's there's things that we forget that like these people have lives outside of here and, you know, things go wrong in their personal life. And and the thing the way that they get their frustration out is coming to that clinic. It, it definitely makes me nervous. Um, and especially when we see build up around a particular issue like Texas right now, you know, it scared me a lot last week to watch a Texas license plate roll in because I knew immediately that they identified that. And, you know, it's it's just these this isn't like always funny and like cute, you know, and I put mm-hmm. things on TikTok and I feel really guilty about it sometimes because I'm like, man, am I making light of something that's like really not funny. Um, but it, it, I don't know. It's, it's a lot sometimes. Um, my own opinion, and this is my opinion, but I think one humor is the best way to disarm a bad situation. Yeah. Um, especially a toxic male. (laughs) As someone who is you know, really been on the front lines of these gun people who are also really scary and armed. Um, I think, you know, cutting through to the humor part is just human and it really shows how ridiculous they are. It doesn't show how scary they are, but I think it's harder to garner the public to kind of come along with you in the advocacy if everything is too dark. Yeah. I mean, I well, just think it helps in the advocacy piece, which I think is like why maybe what the TikTok piece does is more about advocacy than um, the actual work of connecting patients to abortion providers. This is my take. But 
also, I think generally, culturally, we are not taking these people seriously enough. I mean, the, the anti-abortion movement, they have actually killed healthcare workers. They have mm-hmm. actually blown up clinics. They have actually done um, terrorized people in their homes with their children um, and not just stood outside and yelled at them, but actually sent bombs and tried to kill them and their families. They're very dangerous. Uh, I think we can see now when we're looking at these bigger issues, um, thinking about intersectionality and we're thinking about, you know, like the gun issue, right? And we had all of these gun people are the same and these anti-abortion people, they're the same as the anti-maskers. They're the same as the anti-government. They're all the same core, at their core, group of people. They tried to kidnap the governor of, was it Michigan? Or was it of yeah. Michigan, I think? Yeah. yeah. Um, they're storming state houses with guns, including Nebraska. They were killing and maiming police officers on January 6th. They killed a cop. And then we just had a rally in Lincoln that coordinated with the we're celebrating January 6th and demanding you pull them out of um, prison. That's what that rally in Lincoln was about on Saturday, the 18th of September. Um, They didn't put that in their marketing, but there's a reason that they had it on Saturday the 18th, because it was a sister rally to the, we think January 6th was awesome and we're cool with actually killing people when we aren't happy with the politics of the day or the actions of others. And we're wrapping it up in freedom while trying to demand other people don't have the freedom that we do or we want. We want people to be free to live the way we want them to, which is just really, really gross. So I think you are right that there is a general dismissal of um, these domestic terrorists, especially if they give signals that they are white and likely come from the middle or upper class segments of our society. And I, yeah. I think it is very dangerous. Yeah. And I, I agree with you completely. And honestly, like part of the reason why I use that humor is, is patient comfort too, because, you know, it really makes a big difference when you hear me talk to Larry or someone with familiarity. I think for some patients, it makes them feel a little bit less singled out. And so like, sometimes I try to be funny. Like if I know if the patients are, are also funny, cause sometimes the patients are way funnier than we are. Um, they have amazing things to say to them sometimes. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, trying to, to use humor to help everybody feel a little more comfortable and a little more familiar is, is my goal, you know, always, I just worry about that overshadow. So that's a really interesting thought melody for sure. I, I, I just worry about overshadowing the, the dangerousness of it with, you know, sometimes the lulls because they are abundant there are so many reasons to laugh at these people. Like they are absolute messes. And the, th- the other day, uh, one of them was literally sitting, she's sitting in a lawn chair, not just a regular lawn chair, like one of those super dope ones that has like a side table and like little pockets. She's like very comfortable, right? And she's just, she's holding up a giant sign that says, do not kill or do not murder your baby in huge letters, but she's just holding it with one hand. And in the other hand, she's just sitting there playing Farmville in her like sweats and Crocs on a Saturday morning, like out in front of this clinic. And it's like, this is what you, you think there's a murder happening. 
You think murders are happening feet away from you. And you showed up to play Farmville in your lawn chair. Like, I'm fascinated by this. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. You know, so there are those people. And then there are the people who, like, maybe are very, very dangerous all the time. But you can't really tell the difference. You have no idea. So we have to treat them all the same. Yeah. Well, and I think when we made the pro-life Nebraska play and the brochure, which, by the way, I got the honor of handing it to the governor's secretary. <laughs> I love this. I love that you can just do whatever you want. It's amazing. I just, just felt so blessed that I was the one who got to hand it to her, and she was um, unhappy. She was unhappy at, you know, is the most generous thing I could say. That's a but this is why, you know, we went with humor because it was about advocacy and it was about normalizing healthy conversations around sex and reproduction and abortion. Yeah. And just we need to normalize it with each other. We're not trying to convert the people out at the clinic. That's kind of beyond what we can do as advocates. Uh that's like a separate but connected issue. But I do think, I think humor is essential. And we've gotten so many emails. I mean, hundreds of emails from people around the world, like in Ireland, like in England, like just wild, wild. It has gone so far and so viral. And they are, they just feel championed and celebrated. And I, you know, they feel like they're, what they're saying they feel like is they just feel seen. Um, and they had a good laugh and they need a good laugh because the work is so dangerous and scary and unending. And it just, the road forward just seems worse and worse and scarier and darker. So if you're thinking about your own TikTok, all I can say is it brought a lot of humor to me. I laughed so hard at the Larry Starbucks, Sarah McLaughlin, send money to pay for abortion. His shorts. <laughs> like, oh yeah. He's got on shorts now. It's short season. We're we're hoping for his khakis to return. It's soon. September. It's up to yep, yep. We're waiting. I, I have a I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, I know we were talking about how you use some of these tactics for de-escalating. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find that counter protesters escalate things? Yeah. And so, what are your actually, feelings on that? Just because I think that's important for people to know. Yeah. So we get a lot of people who ask about coming in counter protesting. And I will tell you that like, while I would love that, like the thought of it is, is nice. And I think that if there was a way to easily identify people and that we didn't live in a, so such a stigmatized abortion society um, that counter protesters could be and would be really awesome and helpful. Um, But the problem is that when you're pulling into our clinic, there is so much happening there. There's so much happening. You're pulling into the driveway and at that time you have already protesters trying to stop your car and talk to you at your window. You've got a clinic escort who's trying to tell you to keep going. We're trying to get you parked. We've got Larry. He's on his ladder. He's yelling. Judy's up in the top driveway. She's screaming with her little friend. You got Brendan pacing with his, um, you know, amplifier. It's a lot. So if then we add on top of that, another group of people who are there to support these folks who are coming to get their abortions, that's just more human bodies. And at that point, nobody is going to be making the distinction that you're not them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, and that's just more people 
watching you walk into your doctor's appointment, which is just the craziest thing to me that anyone would want to watch anyone else walk into their doctor's appointment. Totally been but, yeah. you know, so it's, it's kind of one of those things. So I tell people all the time, I don't think it's necessarily bad. We get a lot of folks that drive by and honk and yell, and I love it. I think it's great. We'll be standing there and someone will walk by and, and or drive by and honk and be like, Larry. And it's funny. I think it's funny. <laughs> but it's, you know, those things are fine. We just ask that people don't come and like get out of their car or try to like help us. Just we have a system that we think is the safest way for both our clinic patients and for our escorts. So, you know, that's kind of our priority. And if you but if you want to yell, uh, drive by and honk, by all means. Excellent question, Stephanie, and excellent. I think that's really important because, of course, you want to counter protest, but it's so natural to want to do that. Yeah. But I love the point of I want to support like people. I want to support people getting health care, right? And then, right. period, end of story. I told my, I was talking to one of my children. We went um, near the clinic where abortions are. Uh, provided and we went through there was there was fast food nearby and we went got some and I just didn't even think about what day it was and when we were coming out um, the kids had the windows down and this woman talks to them and says God bless you children or some kind of whatever she said and uh, I told her not to talk to my children and I rolled up the window and my one my older child was asking why my response was so strong. And I had to explain to him that good people do not try to prevent people from going to the doctor's office. So even if they seem nice, and even if they, um, you know, if they look nice or seem nice, um, they talk to us in a nice way, we know they're not nice and good people because nice and good people would not stop people from trying to go to the doctor. That's not what nice people do. It's not what good people do. And so that's how we know that the woman was not um, a person we want our family associated with. And he, like, really resonated like that. He was like, okay, yeah, that, that all jives. Makes sense. We've had, we even had a, a, you know, we have lots of people who stop, um, who have no idea who the escorts are and frankly don't care and just want to have a conversation with these people and sometimes in support of them and sometimes not. Um, and we had had a lot of people stopping and asking Larry to turn his sign around because of the graphic nature of the image and like people upset about the school, like school buses driving by and things like that. And they, they don't care at all. We had a guy that pulled in uh, the other week and he's like, I'm a combat veteran. I have two special needs kids and I'm pro-life. And I'm telling you that like this upsets both of my kids. I, if every time I forget and accidentally drive down this road, they freak out. And I just, I'm asking you to please like reconsider I'm on your side. And I mean, they laughed at him. And then he was like, I'm a combat veteran. I know what these images can do to the human psyche. Like I'm in, I'm in therapy for them. So like, I don't want my children exposed to them. And I, I mean, they just basically told him to fuck off. I love to say that. I don't know. Um, they, okay. They, I mean, they, they told him to get out. It was wild. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. Dang. Yeah. No, the, I mean, I mean, and these are the same people who, you know, they don't want to see nipples on buildings. Right. 
right? Because that's a problem. Everybody has nipples. Just like everybody needs healthcare, man. (laughs) Those are the facts. Well, I have, I want to ask for people that want to be involved. And I know we have all this new energy about um, making sure abortion healthcare stays legal, stays safe for everyone who needs it. Um, What would you recommend them? How would you recommend they spend their energy? What kind of words of wisdom do you have? Yeah, I think people should spend their time and energy right now, A, learning the facts about abortion and learning about what's going on in the current political sphere so that they can keep an eye on those things and be heard when they need to be. But more than anything, support abortion funds. Abortion funds are so important. Um, you know, it, abortion just isn't a procedure that's often covered by people's health insurance. It's something that people find themselves in need of it suddenly and on a time delay. And if you want to stop later abortion, you're, I mean, that's never going to happen, but you can slow down later abortion by helping people access abortion earlier. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's something that abortion funds work, um, you know, to, to fund abortion at, at most of them at all stages. So, you know, there's there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done politically, but right now, I think the best thing that we can do is to just help fund abortion at every possible corner. And those costs right. are going up because of uh, travel, and yeah. that's just going to get worse. And it's already bad. Even besides Texas, it's already bad. People have to travel a long way. Yep. April, do you have any questions? Well, I always ask, have you been reading anything you might recommend? Yes. So I have a couple of things. I just finished, um, or I'm, I, I shouldn't say that because I'm going back to reread reread some of it. Um, but I did just finish a book called Policing Welfare uh, by Spencer Hedworth that talks a lot about the history of social safety net programs and the ways in which we um, have sort of policed who's allowed to get and not get those programs and a lot of the changes that have happened to those programs. Um, primarily those changes have impacted communities of color and um, it's a, a really good read. And then I am starting a book that I've had forever and I haven't read called Without Apology, The Abortion Struggle Now by Jenny Brown. And it's from the um, Jacobin Press. So I'm really excited to check that out. I've heard really good things. Excellent. We'll also put those in our show notes. And then, of course, we have um, the bookshop list. I always link it in the show notes, but I don't know if anybody ever clicks it. I bet we have analytics on it. Who knows? Um, But you can always go back and look at old recommendations and Mm -hmm. find books. And if you order them through there, you're supporting local independent bookstores and you're supporting Seeing Red, which who doesn't like that? That's so cool. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. And if you don't buy it through our link, then, you know, do buy it from your own local independent bookstore. You know, as long as you're going to a local independent bookstore, we're fine. We're all Don't good. buy it on Amazon. No. No. Please, no. Please, you're best not to. Shelly, yeah. I, have, I have one last question for you other than reading. Um, what kind of self-care things do you do? Because it seems like you absorb a lot and buffer people. And so um, maybe we could all take a little um, bit of advice from you on self-care. I am all about a vibe. I am all about taking whatever space I'm in and making it like as comfortable as possible. If there's a candle to be lit, some incense, a blanket, 
I'm all about comfort. So I, I like to do that. I have a little over 200 uh, like tropical houseplant specimen in my home. So I am a kind of a crazy plant lady and uh, those things calm me down a lot. So that's a huge one. You need me. to meet Stephanie in real life because <laughs> <laughs> kind of you the same way. Too, I'm a crazy plant lady. I have to say, when you said I'm all about a vibe, I thought you were going in a different direction. Oh, that too. Absolutely. Self-care is important <laughs> in every way, shape, and form. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the pod. We have loved Absolutely. you. We will have you back if something escalates or you have something new you want to tell us, you know, come back and we'll talk to you again. We love you. Uh, and we're so grateful you spent this time with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope that I come back to just tell you that like we no longer have protesters or that we were able to build a giant wall around the clinic. Hopefully next I know time. I was thinking about that. Like I wanted to build a wall with a moat and an underground spa for everyone who has to go through that before they. <laughs> we would really love to do that. And we will be fundraising for that. Hopefully shortly. The problem is we've not been able to get a permit from the city. So we are working really hard on that. So that's something. And I, if we can get an alligator moat, all the better. <laughs> mm. I've donated some alligators. <laughs> mm, Thank you guys so much. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Seeing Red Nebraska, Politics from the Left. Seeing Red is a group blog edited by citizen volunteers and entirely devoted to Nebraska politics. You can support us on Patreon with a $5, $10, or $20 a month donation. Be sure to check us out at seeingrednebraska.com and on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at seeingredne or contact us via email at seeingredne at protonmail.com.